Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, 13, uh, 1 Corinthians 14. I've really been encouraged here this morning as we've studied God's Word together. I've been blessed with the songs from the opening children's songs. We even had some sign language songs, which were uh, great. We had a good discussion in the class I was in in Sunday school about what happened in the conversion of Saul on the Damascus Road. And uh, this last song is one of my very favorites from the Life Songbook. Only trust him and be still. Let him work in thee his will. For the heart that's open wide, his love will fill. I hope you came hungry and thirsty today because God is in the blessing business. He wants to fill us and satisfy us. Well, 1 Corinthians 14 is an interesting chapter and thought we would kind of survey it today and focus on five words. Five words with my understanding, verse uh, 19. I'll read 18 and 19. I thank my God, Paul's writing here, I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. I started thinking about five words. Five words can communicate a lot of things. How about these five words? How do they make you feel? Why did you do that? Why did you say that? Not very comfortable five words, are they? But how about some of these five words? You are important to me. You are forever my friend. I care what happens to you. I love you very much. Five words can communicate so much if they're in a tongue, if they're in a language that we understand. I was thinking about some of the words of Jesus, and I'm sure you could think of many others or different uh, words of Scripture that we could capture a lot of thoughts in five words, like this one. This goes with the one Sunday school song, Building Up the Temple. Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus said, you must be born again. My sheep hear my voice. Seek ye first the kingdom. Ask, and you shall receive. I will send the comforter. Go into all the world. I am with you always. Well, in the Corinthian church, there were a lot of words said on a typical Sunday morning. Incredible amount of words. And the picture I get is that uh, there's no way that you could hear all the words because there were so many people talking at once. And there was all different languages going on and arguments. And when they had communion time, there was, uh, I don't know if there were fights that went on, but there were people that came drunk and, and there was just a lot of competition arguments for, for uh, those who thought they were part of Paul's 
church and those who thought they were part of Apollos' church, those who were super spiritual and said, we just, we're just listening to Christ. We're not listening to anybody else. That's the church we're part of. There was a lot of words that went on on a Sunday morning. And Paul writes this chapter to encourage them about the most important things with words. Five words with my understanding. He said, I would rather speak five words that counted than many, many words that don't amount to anything. Well, if you have uh, the scripture in front of you, let's stand. And I'm going to read through this chapter, reading in the New King James Version, 1 Corinthians 14. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if a trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air, There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than ten thousand words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people. And yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore if the whole church comes together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, 
he is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, each has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be in submission, as the law also says, and if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Let's pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, have a seat. And as you look over this chapter, there is a lot in it. I thought I would just highlight perhaps three areas. First, how to speak. Then, what to speak. And lastly, who to speak. And we'll just kind of scratch the surface on these areas, but hopefully there'll be a few words, two or three or five or ten, that can encourage your heart. These, uh, this scripture certainly has spoken to me because um, I have a lot of trouble with my words. Uh, one being that I tend to use too many of them. Thank you for not saying amen right there, because that would have been discouraging. To me, but I am trying to choose them more carefully. Uh, it's not just what we say, but it's how we say it, isn't it? And it's in a language and in a tone and in an attitude that uh, the other person can understand. I was thinking about languages, and I hadn't th- thought a lot about sign language till we uh, had Eric lead us in the in the song of Jesus Loves Me. Those of you that weren't here at the school, uh, Eric led some children's songs, and one was Jesus Loves Me, and he signed with it. And he didn't interpret the sign, but it came to me when the word Jesus is used, the, the sign was this. Did, did uh, some of you think about that? It all of a sudden came to me, oh, the sign for Jesus in sign language is the nail prints of his hands. And that's a, that's a beautiful 
uh, sign. It's very touching to think about the suffering and the death of Jesus for our sins, and that's how much he loved us. You have to understand sign language to really communicate into it and with it. Now, if uh, Brother Delvin or Brother Ryan or maybe some others here would get up and speak to us in Spanish, there'd be a few of us that would be encouraged. Uh, I wouldn't be one of those few, because even though I can try to say a couple Spanish words, I cannot communicate in Spanish. I think I first heard a foreign language when I was probably three or four years old. My grandparents were speaking in this German dialect called Pennsylvania Dutch. And there's Brother Amos and, and um, Brother Ed, and a number of you here could get up and speak in Pennsylvania Dutch. I just learned from Ed this morning there's a Swiss, a Swiss dialect of the Pennsylvania Dutch that, that he grew up with. and Some of us would be edified. But a bunch of us, even though I know a couple Pennsylvania Dutch words, I wouldn't understand the message. And I would go home unencouraged, uninformed, wondering like I did when I was a boy watching my grandparents, what are they talking about? It was, it was fascinating for a while, but pretty soon I lost interest. So God has given us this gift of speech, of language, of communication. And along with that gift is a responsibility to share words that can connect and communicate uh, to the other person who that, that we're talking to. So on this first point of how to speak, I have two, two sub-points under this. Verse 1, we are to speak with charity. And that takes us back to the previous chapter, 13 of Corinthians is the great love chapter. Even though you speak, Paul said, with the tongues of men and angels, if you don't have love, if, you, if you're not speaking with charity, with love, it's all empty words. Love should be our first priority in our speech. Jesus and his kingdom of love. Love is the motive in our communication. Pursue charity. Follow after charity. <clears throat> you could really interchange the word charity and Jesus in, uh, in this scripture, in chapter 13 and in, and in 14. We pursue Jesus, we follow Jesus. Sometimes it's, it's uh, encouraging just to read chapter 13 and wherever you see the word charity, put in the word Jesus. It reads just beautifully. Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus envies not. He's always seeking the good of others. <clears throat> so let's speak with love, even as God speaks with love. God's a speaking God. I think it's the third verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-3. God said, let there be light, and he saw the light was good. God spoke to Adam and Eve. He gave them instructions. He gave them blessings. He would come in the morning in the garden and and talk to them in a language they could understand. It was a language of love. But unfortunately, the devil, God's enemy, is motivated by hate, not by love. He hated the good creation. He hates God. He wanted to destroy God, but he can't destroy God because God is indestructible. <clears throat> so he tried to destroy God's creation. 
Satan communicates with ill will and with hate, with doubt and confusion. He questions God's word. He did that to Adam and Eve. They fell for his communication and decided to rebel against God's word. I think the lesson for us is pretty clear that Satan is still trying to do that today with words. He wants to destroy us, and he does that in our minds by placing thoughts and words there that are against God's word. But thank God we have God's help, and we have God's word, and we can be more than a conqueror through Jesus who loves us. We can overcome Satan in the same way that the saints in Revelation overcame him, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Satan is out to destroy, but God is out to build up, to edify. That's a word that comes through in this chapter. Edifying has to do with edifice or a building. God is all about building up. Satan is described as a liar, a deceiver, both of which have to do with words, don't they? The destroyer, the dragon spewing out water to drown people. Scary stuff. Satan's tactics are fear as a roaring lion and trickery as an angel of light. Well, let's move off of that subject to something more positive. So our, our speech, how are we to speak? We're to speak with charity, with love. We're also not only to speak with charity, but we're to speak with clarity. And that's uh, really all through this whole chapter. Words that are clear. And I was looking at some of these verses uh, that relate to clarity of speech. Verse 7 and 8, talking about instruments. Instruments can give a very distorted sound or they can very give a very clear sound. Distinct speech. Verse 9, simple speech. Sometimes we try to impress our friends or probably more ourselves with big words. But look at verse 9. So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand. We, in healthcare, we, we deal with this some because some of the uh, patient instruction papers that are handed out to patients as they leave the emergency room are written by very brilliant and linguistic type people. Linguistic means language. They know a lot of words. And so there's uh, these reading experts that grade these different uh, instructions. And a lot of them are above the seventh grade level. A lot of them are on the high school or even college level. And patients that have done some surveys at some emergency rooms where after the patients are dismissed from the ER, uh, usually a medical student doing a project is what I understand a lot of it was, would say, hey, we want to just go over your instructions with you. And they would then carefully examine, they could talk to the person, what do you understand? And over half the people, at least in this one study, had no idea what they were supposed to do with their medical condition. Even though they had the papers in front of them, but it was either they couldn't read, which there's a lot of people who can't read, or they couldn't read at the level. 
that the uh, paper was written on. So this verse 9 is a good, a good verse for all of us to think about. Words easy to understand. Otherwise, it won't be known what, what is spoken. And then there's understanding of the mind from our text verse. I would rather speak five words with my understanding. Certainly, if we don't understand what we're saying, <clears throat> uh, the person on the other side probably won't understand either. There might be a few exceptions to that. I think in Acts 2, when the, the day of Pentecost, people were speaking the gospel in languages that they hadn't learned. It's very possible they didn't really understand the language, but the hearers on the other side did. That was clearly a miraculous time <clears throat> with a sign uh, to the unbelievers of, of uh, God working his message to them in all these different languages. Verse 20 to 25 talks a bit about the language of the, the hearer. So the person coming in to the church, someone who's not saved or uninformed, if they hear a bunch of gibberish and other languages that aren't connecting, they'll go out and say, well, you know, I didn't really understand any of it. However, if they hear Christians talking God's word in a language that they can understand, I, I love the, uh, the sequence in those verses. It says they will be, let's see, is it first convicted? Uh, this is in 20... 24, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus he falls down on his face and worships God. A beautiful, beautiful picture of someone hearing God's word. And they might hear it first from the usher who greets them at the door. And then in Sunday school and in each part of the service, God's word is coming to them in a language they can understand. So how to speak? We speak with charity or love, and we also speak with clarity. Jesus declared God's word in an understandable manner. Some people went to arrest Jesus one time, and they came back and said, no, we didn't arrest him. Never man spake like this man. Jesus' words were so powerful and so convicting. Now, sometimes he did speak in parables or what seemed like riddles, but his overall goal and our overall goal should be to communicate in a way that people can understand. So the second part uh, of the message here is what to speak, <clears throat> some specific content. And first of all, I'd like to focus on this word prophecy. Prophecy has to do with divinely empowered forthtelling or foretelling, has to do with uh, speaking, I, I wrote in simple language, speak forth God's message. I was reading in these Bible dictionaries and it talked about forthtelling, that is telling forth God's message for the present, but also foretelling sometimes has to do with telling something that's going to be in the future that hasn't happened. But most of the time in the New Testament, prophecy has to do with the forthtelling, the speaking of, of God's message for today. And that doesn't just happen in church. That happens when we're reading the Bible. That happens at work. Happens around the kitchen table. Happened to me on Friday. I was at Bath Hospital 
doing a shift and I was struggling with one of the things I often struggle with there, which was the electronic medical record. It's the language of the healthcare that happens in the computer and I struggle with my computer uh, literacy, my ability to uh, push the right buttons and so the computer was jamming and I had a request from one of the medical records people to sign this note that you put in there like over a month ago and I was there on a different shift and I said I don't know if I can get into that note to open it and sign it because they don't you know you're not supposed to change notes after after so many hours or whatever because it looks like you're going back and falsifying record I can try so I tried about 10 minutes and I couldn't get into the note and finally I just hand wrote my signature and dated it and handed it back to her and I said probably more words than I should have about my frustration. And this lady who has struggled with cancer the last two years and was out of work for a while, she listened and she said five words that spoke to me. And the Lord used those words. She said, God is teaching us patience. That was really something. She could have said, God is teaching you patience. She said, God is teaching us patience. Wow, that really encouraged me. And when I counted up and it was five words, there's nothing magic about the five words. I mean, one word or two words, good words can lift the heart and build a person. But Paul said, I'd rather say five words that make sense than 10,000 words that don't make sense. So Friday, those five words made a lot of sense to me, and I thanked her for it. I later went back and said, wow, those five words, they really encouraged me. God is teaching us patience. Maybe God's doing that to you in your situation. We all have circumstances that God is using to teach us patience. So when we use God's words... When we're speaking forth God's message, we're prophesying in the, in the Bible sense. I looked up this word prophecy in some of the Bible dictionaries I have at home, and it's, been, it's used at least 28 times in the New Testament, and there's different forms of it. Uh, in this chapter, I went through and I saw it a little more than 10 times. I just did a quick count uh, last night where the word prophecy or prophet or something uh, along that line is, is, is written. And so Paul said, this is something you should desire. You should covet. We usually think of covet in a bad way. We should pursue. We should want this ability to speak God's words to other people in a way that encourages them. So what should we speak first? Let's speak God's words. And secondly, let's speak building words. And the word there is edifying or edification, which means construction or upbuilding. There's a lot of, lot of words, a lot of scriptures about upbuilding words. Ephesians 4, I found, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. The NIV renders that verse, speak only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is good not only when we're talking to Christians, but 
non-Christians as well. It's a very discouraging world out there. And an upbuilding word is a real testimony. Just a couple words can be very encouraging. Colossians 4, 5 says, Conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Now, salt can be really a great thing with oatmeal and with eggs. and I, I enjoy it a lot, and that's the sense it's used here. Not salt like salt that's rubbed in a wound or salt that's irritating, but salt that's seasoned, that makes the words seem better. I guess you could say those five words I heard were seasoned with the word us. God is teaching us patience. Uh, that's a, that was a seasoning. I, it didn't seem harsh. We were all in it together. And certainly, Christy was her name. She certainly had a lot of time the last two years as she was out of work and going through chemotherapy and facing cancer to think about God teaching patience. I would rather hear five clear, constructive, upbuilding words than 10,000 words that make no sense to me. So let's say God's words, let's say upbuilding words. And the last section is about who speaks. And I just have a few observations here. We all speak, we're all given a language uh, ability and gift. Uh, the last section of this chapter seems to focus more on the gathered assembly. I think it's verse 26, where it says, I'm sorry, that wasn't the uh, 23. It says, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, I think this last section especially is relating to when the whole church is gathered together in a big group. <clears throat> Uh, what I first see at verse 26 now is that there were multiple speakers with various methods. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you has a psalm, a doctrine, a tongue, a revelation, interpretation. You're just so ready to share. And some people could look at that as a, a critical uh, feature of the Corinthian church. And maybe they were a little overly ready, but I, I look at it as kind of a, a normal thing for humans. When they get together, they want to talk. And it's something God has given us. I don't see it as a, a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. So you come to church humming a Sunday school tune, wanting to share that tune. You come wanting to uh, share an insight that you have from Scripture. I think it's great. And the Corinthian church... I think Paul is saying, this is how you're coming together. And I don't think he's being critical. He's just saying, as you come together with multiple speakers and various methods and ideas, uh, just make sure that you blend this in a way that upbuilds. Colossians 3.16 kind of reads like this. Listen to the variety in this verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word 
or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So the speakers at the church, there's multiple speakers. They're using different methods. But the goal is to speak in love and to speak upbuilding words, to sing in love and to sing upbuilding words. A next observation I have is, uh, I already kind of got into it, orderly speakers. The speakers should be orderly, one at a time. 29 to 33 talks about prophecy. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. Now, I think it means two or three in a given service, maybe having main sermons. I don't know if it means two or three at a time from different corners where groups are gathered. I think it probably means two or three main prophets or prophecies is enough for one service. Um, we only have an attention span that's so long, and for some of us it's quite a bit shorter than others. I would be on the, on the short end. Uh, maybe some of you are that way too. So speak orderly, two or three, and let others judge. And then I, I, I really did some meditating on verse 31. 31 is a beautiful verse. If a church gathering is going to have a blessed and a profitable time, Verse 31 is, is what happens, and I've certainly been here many Sundays when this has happened, and it's such a blessing. Look at verse 31. For all of you can prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. There's three alls there. So all of us should come to church wanting to share an encouraging word to others. It may not be in the the main assembly from the front of the church, but it may be in your Sunday school class, maybe to the person beside you. Um, and I appreciate your attention this morning. I think if there's a lot of talking to the person beside you, it's a little bit distracting to the person beside you and maybe the person in front of you. So I appreciate your attention here, but we should all go to church realizing that God wants to use us to give an encouraging word to the person beside us, to the Sunday school class, <clears throat> maybe to someone in the parking lot after the service is over. All may prophesy, he says. And what happens when that happens is all are learning and all are encouraged. And that's a good Sunday morning worship or Wednesday night worship or whatever time we get together when all can speak a good word from God. All can learn something and all can go home encouraged. What a blessing. And that's certainly my prayer for us here this morning. And it only happens if we are listening to God's word and we're using that wisdom like James Wright. The wisdom that comes from above is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And then there's two verses about men and women's roles in the church assembly, verse 34 and 35. I did a bunch of studying on these verses, and I think to best understand them, we need to look at a number of other verses on this subject, like uh, just a few pages back. Corinthians 11, it talks about women praying and prophesying in the church setting. And Acts 2, I mentioned the, the day of Pentecost, Peter preached to the crowd there and, and used the words from Joel that said, in the last days, 
God said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. So today in the church age, I believe all Christians are to prophesy. They're to speak God's words, and that includes men and women. That includes old and young. So if you're young here and you're understanding uh, something from God, it's your responsibility to share it with others. In fact, I was thinking about the Bible Memory Club this summer. Wow, how many of God's words were being spoken by very young children out here uh, outside the ball games that were going on? Ball game was going on, that was fun. But around the backstop, God's word was being spoken and memorized. And what a blessing. So this prophecy from Joel said, men and women, old, old people and very young people, God's spirit will be poured on them. And also every socioeconomic class, he says, on my servants, on my handmaids, he's talking about slaves. So those who were at the lowest level of society, God's spirit would be poured on them. <clears throat> so anyway, I'm, I've strayed a little bit, but I think these verses of women speaking in church need to be harmonized with other scriptures. Uh, I would understand these verses to mean that women should not take leading roles in the church, uh, particularly in public preaching, and also in this other thing, the judgment of prophets. We've, we've ha we have some little discussions after church, um, and he was saying, you have these prophets give their messages, two or three of them give their messages, and everybody judges. And I think he was saying, the men folks should be doing the judging of these uh, speakers. Now, the final observation on who should speak comes from the last verses. Speakers should have a respect for God's word. And verse 36, 7 and 8, he has kind of some strong words there. If you want to be ignorant, be ignorant. That's, that sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? But in the Corinthian church, there were people teaching some very wrong doctrines, very wrong practices, and they were saying, I don't care what Paul says. I'm going with Apollos, or I'm going with Jesus. And Paul's saying, what I'm teaching is, is, is the Lord's, fits with the Lord's word. It is the commandments of the Lord. And so I think in the uh, public assembly, especially those who are having main parts, they should have a high respect for God's word. doesn't mean that we have to stop someone who's giving a testimony necessarily, um, but I remember one time in South Carolina, we had a visitor come in who wanted to take over the service, and it was a, I self-appointed myself to be an usher and uh, led him to the back row because he came into our men's Sunday school class, and he tried to take over the class, and the teacher did a very smooth job of continuing to teach. He kind of let him talk a little, but, but I, I got the sense this guy wanted to take over the service, so I said, why don't you sit with my wife and I? And, Usually we didn't sit in the back row, but that particular Sunday I said, we're going to sit right here. And so uh, the pastor uh, very wisely didn't have the testimony time that Sunday. 
the prayer time uh, was just kind of what went right into prayer time. Didn't open it up because he knew this fella quite well and he knew he would have been disruptive. And at the end of the service, the man had his hand up and was waving for attention, but very few people knew it because he was on the back row. So I think, I think there's times to... Uh, and he was very angry. As soon as the church was over, he had some harsh words about how we weren't open to hear the message. But the main speakers, I think, should certainly be someone who have people that have a high respect for God's word. And that's what I think 36 to 38 is focused to. And then he ends up by coming back to this uh, thought of edification, of building up. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, to speak God's word. Do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. I thought for a closing scripture, I would read Acts 20, verse 32. These are the words of Paul when he was leaving one of the churches. He said, And now, brethren... I commend or commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Amen. Let's have a song.